Pin-counting paralyzer has been on quite a journey, from seeds that traveled home with a Vietnam veteran to cannabis flower that made a 1979 party memorable for a pair of UAW workers named Terry to new plants at a legal grow facility in Bay County. I'm Live's Gus Burns, who's been leading you through pin-counting paralyzers past in our podcast, has been on a journey of his own. He started his reporting work on the topic back in early April, and it led him to random addresses, through court documents, and ultimately to a water bong filled with marijuana. And that's where we'll start our final chapter. So Gus is filling up the bong, and he's going to take a long pull. Nice work, Gus. You fucking cleared it. Yes! So here we are, about 10 weeks after I glimpsed the first ever Pinconning Paralyzer clones. They grew up in their closely monitored atmosphere inside a pole barn, soaking up the bright lights above and later converting energy in the darkness to produce sticky, pungent flour that so many have been waiting to try. The strain that many have referred to as Michigan's holy grail of weed. As a good reporter, it was of course my obligation to test the strain. And soon enough, perhaps by the time you hear this podcast, you'll have that same opportunity. It's crazy. I'm telling you, I get text messages from people I have no idea who they are. No idea. You know, and it, it puts in there, seriously, is this really pink and paralyzer? And, and I, all I can do is respond to it is, is, is according to who I got the seeds from, yeah. I mean, I remember the party. I remember when he smucked his head. How could I forget something like that? He's a good friend. I remember him coming out of bath with blood running down his face. It looks like somebody hit him with a bat, you know. And that's what we all thought. Somebody beat him up in the bathroom. We went in there and there's nobody there. Blood trail on the floor leading out from him. So before we get back to my taste test with pinconning paralyzer and the details of where listeners may be able to find some, I want to wrap up some of the history and talk more about the real founder of the strain. It was the turn of the century and police boasted to the media and to the public that they'd finally, after more than 20 years, put pinconning paralyzer out of business. David Myers and his co-conspirators, including his brother Roger, in a grow operation that was lauded by Myers himself as the largest indoor grow ever in mid-Michigan up to that time, had been indicted. But were those police claims accurate? Was Pinconning Paralyzer out of business? Well, sort of. Larry Myers, the brother with MS, who'd been the focus of early raids, evaded the big bust in February 1999, but the indictments of his brothers seem only to have emboldened Larry in his efforts to advocate for legalization and his own right to use marijuana for his MS, something he'd been advocating for publicly since at least 1994. In the May 2, 1999 edition of the Bay City Times, there's a half-page picture of Larry hitting a bowl of marijuana on the front cover of the Life section. Up in smoke was the huge headline. Larry was making no apologies. What can they do, put me in jail? He said to Bay City Times reporter frankly, I'm already in jail, sitting in a wheelchair every day in front of the TV. The only difference is that in jail I might have to fight with seven or eight guys over what programs to watch. I've been smoking marijuana every day for 20 years. If marijuana was going to harm me, it would have done so by now, Larry told the reporter. If you're old enough to remember, marijuana was extremely taboo and illegal at this time. So under any circumstance, it was extremely bold of Larry to publicize its use in the way he did. And that's not even taking into account that his brothers had just been federally indicted on major drug crimes. Their cases weren't even resolved yet. The story was mostly about how a growing number of studies supported medical use of marijuana. California had legalized medicinal marijuana three years prior in 1996, but it wouldn't pass in Michigan for another eight years. The article also mentions a prior bust at Larry Meyer's home that occurred in 1997, and it's one I didn't find when I was conducting my own court record search. 
It said he was charged with possession of marijuana with intent to deliver and possession of a firearm in the commission of a felony, which in Michigan is pretty serious. It's an automatic two-year sentence, not to mention the possible six years he faced for the marijuana charge. Attorney Ed Saprinsky, the Myers brothers' go-to lawyer, defended Larry in the case, and the prosecutor, Kurt Asbury, went easy on the disabled man. He recommended, and the judge granted, no jail time to Larry. He was ordered to pay a $77 fine and $223 in court fees. I can picture the reporter interviewing Larry and then picking up his phone to call Bayonet, the Myers nemesis, for their reaction. And he got a reaction. It came from Lieutenant Kenneth Bennett, who was featured in the story earlier that year, boasting that police had, quote, pulled the plug on pinconning paralyzer. Here's what Bennett said in response to what I'm sure he perceived to be Larry being extremely cocky. We're not going to hunt him down, but if we run across him in the course of our business, we will charge him with the appropriate charge, depending on what he's doing. Here's attorney Ed Saprinsky. By golly, I'll, I'll tell you what, um, did come in. Bayonet was often the instigator, as I believe, from, from memory. But they just went until he's, he's, you know, got a grow operation. He's getting his medicine he needs, and then they come in and, and bust him. Uh, not for delivery, but for possession, you know. If you have a certain quantity back in the day, it was possession with intent to deliver. So they hit him with these felonies, you know. Um, it was really kind of disgusting. The way they were so uh, insensitive and and inhumane in the way they would do this to this man who was so vulnerable. Now, when the prosecution would be taking place, I was always able to get it so that um, there's never a felony conviction. Or or if there was a felony conviction, I had it arranged so that there'd be no jail time. In other words, the prosecutor and higher authorities were sympathetic. What are they going to do? If these cops keep busting this guy and they turn in the reports, um, they'd prosecute. But they were very compassionate, is the word, in, in how they would handle it and approach it and, and deal with it. Whereas the, uh, the goon squad from Bayonet was just uh, out to get this poor guy because it was an easy target. Bayonet never gave Larry Myers any more trouble, but a different law agency did. The Bay City Police Department in 2006 went undercover to buy a $175 ounce of marijuana off Larry Myers. At the time, he was living in a little shack on the Saginaw Bay, just a couple houses down from his parents. He could hardly move. I visited that address. The neighbor called it a cabin. It's gone now. Police submitted charges for Larry the next year in 2007. They tried to get him as a habitual offender because of his prior record. But the prosecutor and the judge, once again, had mercy. He was only sentenced to two years probation which he was released from in January 2010, just a couple years before his death. It's not clear in court records whether Larry was still growing Pinconning Paralyzer in 2006 and 7. The undercover agent said when he purchased the weed, Larry told him he didn't have any homegrown available, but he could get some with a couple days' notice. Speaking of Larry and his busts, if you go back to his first in 1987, you may remember it involved a semi-trailer that he converted to a fully operational hydroponic grow facility. Larry at that time said police knew what he was doing, and he insinuated that they intentionally waited until he had harvested the marijuana to make their raid. There's no hard proof as to the extent, but almost every source I spoke to from the pin-counting paralyzer heyday accused police of funny business regarding their seizures. In fact, two years after Larry's first bust, a lead drug detective for the Bay County Sheriff's Office pleaded guilty to conspiring to deliver marijuana, and he went to prison. Along those lines, and prompted by this podcast, I heard from 59-year-old Jay Johnson, He worked as a tow truck driver in the area back in the 1980s, and he was called to haul away Larry Myers' grow trailer back in 1987. It was a state-of-the-art facility, pretty much. Uh, I really didn't know that 
anything grew in water like that. Uh, I'd never seen anything like that before. I was kind of amazed. And uh, they said, well, impound it, take it in there, be careful with it, don't break nothing. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And uh, I did it, and uh, the sheriff called, Kevin Green. He said, uh, I'm coming up there, he said, late tonight. He says, we got to process that. I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, uh, that's kind of protocol, anything like accidents or whatnot. So they came up, uh, which was kind of strange. It was in their personal vehicles and whatnot, and they all showed up. There was, uh, I'm going to say there was at least five of the sheriff's officers there, all in plain clothes. It was after hours, of course, I guess, so that was to be expected. And a couple of the state troopers were there uh, in their personal vehicles. They came in, they opened the doors, they went and went right through the whole thing, harvested what was there, put it in their vehicles, and away they went with it. 2007 was the last time police took Larry Myers' marijuana. In 2008, 63% of Michigan voters passed a ballot proposal to legalize use of medical marijuana by people suffering like Larry was. He fought alongside thousands of others to gain that right over a period of nearly 20 years. Soon after the vote, MLive reporter Amy Payne visited Larry Myers at what was described as a modest home overlooking the Saginaw Bay. As someone who's got some experience growing marijuana, I'll tell you it's not such an easy thing, Myers told a reporter, especially for a person who's dying of cancer or something. I think it's great that the voters of Michigan passed Proposal 1. I don't want to have to worry about getting arrested ever again. I can imagine that was a proud day for Larry Myers, and I can't help but think he'd be proud today, knowing that the strain he helped to create, the one that's already brought so much joy and relief to others, is about to make a comeback. It's October 18th. I pull down that same gravel drive in Bay City that I had months prior, and again, I park next to an outdoor basketball hoop. In a few minutes, I'm about to find out what happened to those little pin-conning paralyzer clones I'd seen as babies months earlier. The ones brought back to life from hibernating seeds rescued from the Union Hall in 1979. I'm at Bullet Buds, the licensed marijuana grow facility owned by Terry Laskowski and operated by his son, John. I get out of my car and spot John along the outside of the Burgundy building. He gives me a welcome but seems distracted. This air conditioner just quit on me, he says. After a few more seconds, it kicks back on. He begins giving me an update on pin counting paralyzer. We're now at the point where 10 weeks later, fast forward, here we are. Uh, they got pulled out last Friday. Uh, they're on the drying racks, and it's what we kind of all expected it was going to be. It looks like it's like a 18, 19% THC weed, probably, if that. Uh, it's, it's, it looks like pot. It's nothing compared to the genetics like we have in-house of all of our newer stuff that we have. I mean, we didn't expect it to be, though. Now, what's really cool is because we have that flower in-house, I can cross it and produce new breeds. So we can pull we can pull what we like out of the Pinconning Paralyzer and hopefully cross it with something else and maybe get attributes of both that makes it even better. So this is just the beginning of what Pinconning Paralyzer is. It's just it's cool to see the old-school Both John and Terry Laskowski seem to be tempering expectations of what pin-conning paralyzer will be. Here's Terry. You know, I think they're making a big hoopla over it. I had no idea how this was going to happen. You know, I just wanted to bring back a strain that was around when I was a kid. If you remember from the last episode, Terry Laskowski revealed the name of the person who actually fought in Vietnam and returned to Michigan with the seeds that were later crossbred to become pin-conning paralyzer. 
I spoke to one of the sons. He and his family are reluctant to have their names publicized in this podcast, but the son did reach out to John Laskowski. Do you feel like uh, you're kind of playing this role of keeping a famous marijuana alive or bringing I, it back to life? I do. I, I feel more like the caretaker, uh, like the guy who takes care of the hotel. It's just my job to make sure it doesn't die. They love it. They think it looks like it. They think it smells like it. But they, you know, they've got old pictures of it and stuff. So I've got to take some pictures. I took some pictures of it before we harvested it, so that I could send it to them, so they could see and compare and contrast and see if it looks like what exactly their dad, you know, and all those guys who were were peddling back then. So they weren't all that happy that I had already received their name from. I think I've heard it from other people and seen mm-hmm. it online too. But your dad, I guess, told me his name and identity. So we, you know, I found basically the obituary while I was on the phone with your dad and it, you know went along the lines of what he said this guy was an army mm-hmm. medic yeah, in Vietnam yeah. brought up about seeds home yeah they um, came from Hawaii is what the guys told me mm-hmm. they when it, the Viet they're not Vietnamese seeds the guys brought them back when they were in Hawaii or something like that yeah David Myers called them blue Hawaiian yeah something. so they were seeds that they from pot they smoked when they're in Hawaii when they came when they you know everybody gets stationed in Hawaii and they before they get deployed back then, that's where they sent a lot. That's where they, yeah. Okay. That's all I know. I, it's weed. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to, I, people get pissed. I say, it's just pot, man. I right. mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, the, th- the whole thing about Pink County Paralyzer is more the It's the just saga. the eerie and stuff, yeah. And there's the big bust and all that stuff, and it's crazy. But, yeah, it's still just weed. I mean, it just sucks that those guys got, you know, took it. Got hit the way they did. I asked how the sons of the vet who brought the seeds back to Michigan linked up with John Laskowski. Coincidentally, he said they already knew each other. They also own a business in Bay County, but neither realized the other was connected to the pin counting paralyzer legacy. They've seen the article on MLive, and they're like, John. Yeah, they're like, you do realize. I'm like, yeah, no, I didn't know that that was your last name, but now it all makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, that was it's just that simple. They, I've been doing business with those guys. Oh, an A-10 Warthog. Here's another one. As John's excitement grows at seeing the military planes above, our conversation briefly moves into an impromptu lesson on military aircraft. What are those? A-10 Warthogs. Those are like uh, battleships of the air. For like, They do ground cover and stuff like in Afghanistan, all your ground troops. Those planes can fly really slow and low because they're such big wingspan, and they got a big 50 cal machine gun up front, Gatling gun. They just lay a lot of lead down. They're good at killing things. Before wrapping up the final episode, I wanted to reach out to the son of the Vietnam vet who brought the seeds back one last time to see if he might change his mind and grant an interview. While he seemed much more open and less litigious than during our first conversation, he still wasn't sure about participating. He did share some history with me. He said one of the main growers who helped breed Pinconning Paralyzer over the years gave his family a scrapbook with each iteration of the strain as it evolved. He also told me that the final version that became so popular wasn't created until 1983. That means the seeds Terry Laskowski rescued from 1979 may be a prototype rather than the real, real deal. No, they think it's awesome. They asked me, you know, just uh, what my plans were with it, just kind of like everybody asks, you know, what are your plans with it? My plans are to cross it because it's not... It's it's great the way it is, and I'll never kill off the original strain the way it is because it's nostalgia. It's it's that it's the goat, right? But I think that it, it in this today's current market, it's better suited to be crossed and to spread its its love and give away its 
it's the fruit of its loins and new flower, you know, new strains, new new ways to medicate. As of this recording, I haven't seen the test results for the Laskowski spin counting paralyzer. There are actually going to be four different test results, since they produce batches of plants from four mothers. John Laskowski guessed the strains would come in around 18 or 19% THC. While this would be extremely potent in the 1990s, when the THC levels were averaging about 4%, based on tests of DEA seized marijuana at that time, they don't hold a candle to the most potent strains today, which are peaking at over 30% THC. With that said, most marijuana insiders agree that marijuana quality doesn't rest solely on THC potency. That's just the easiest variable for most consumers to identify with. It's sort of like alcohol content. You can get really drunk on rubbing alcohol, but most bars I've been to aren't offering shots of it. Marijuana also has something called terpenes, which are natural compounds that create the taste and smell, and they're something most also believe feed into the overall high. In today's world, we're, we're all about the terpenes. We look at the terpene profile more, so everything that all the flour that we have tested, we also have a terpene profile produced with it, so that way the customer gets a better idea of what flour to smoke to provide the uh, relief to the ailments that they're looking for. You know, anxiety, depression, whatever it is, there's certain terpenes in those flowers that provide you that immediate relief and to be able to find those that's where the key to the bud tenders are at these dispensaries they provide you with the information needed to get that proper medication and these terpenes that influence things like smell and taste um it's just like a fine wine think about wines like your cabernets and stuff they have so many layers of flavoring that are there that you catch it's the same with the terpenes it's not just about the THC. The terpenes are kind of what help deliver the THC. Great high THC potency is just going to help get you there further, but to get it delivered to your body, you need to have a good terpene profile. And do you think that this will have its own That unique? very well could be why it was so unique back in the day, is it had a great terpene profile that hit a lot of the spots that most people, I'd say the average Joe, liked. So it got them high messed them up. It made them couch lock, whatever you want to say. David Myers, who had his huge pin counting paralyzer grow busted back in 99 and had been smoking it since the 70s, said this. People that say they're growing it now or whatever, they're, I mean, I can't say they absolutely ain't, but I don't know why they would because it was not potent like the weed is now. Mm -hmm. It's not, you would not, what, in the day when Mexican was around and it was 3% and now you start smoking 10%? But, and another thing too that I tell a lot of people about the myth and stuff of the pink conning, you know, getting so high and stuff, what a lot of people leave out of it is all the drugs that people were doing then. There was a lot of drugs, right? I don't know when you grew up, but. How old you are? 90s, 44. Okay, well, you missed it. You missed it because the drugs were 72 to 82. They were kind of, you know, the woodstock. And it's a lot of acid. And to whatever you wanted. There's drugs like crazy. So these people are all stoned out and they're smoking this paralyzer and they're like, wow, wow. <laughs> It ain't sweet. Someone who might have a fairly good idea about how good the new Pinconning Paralyzer is, is Terry Laskowski. All of those clones that came from the mother plants that came from the old seeds didn't end up in the licensed grow facility. I took one of those Pinconning Paralyzers and I grew it outside, which was perfectly legal to do nowadays. It, it was absolutely huge. 18 ounces of, of weed off of it 
And that's just taking the best of the best and just taking the rest of it and turn it into, you know, garbage and getting rid of it. I did that with one of the clones. Um, I took one of the clippings and took it home and rutted it. Terry, who also happens to be a hardcore angler, used an interesting fertilizing method to get that pin conning paralyzer clone to grow. What he said was over a pound of weed. Uh, I'm a fisherman and a hunter, and I have areas where I bury fish guts. And um, I don't care what you put on top of fish guts, it's going to get big and huge, <laughs> just the way it is. Uh, when we used to grow in the woods, uh, the, the boys in pink conning used to try this too. Uh, get a bunch of fish and bury a head underneath each plant, which was a great idea, except for the raccoons and the possums and all like them fish heads and guts too. So they're walking through the woods and they can pick that scent up. So they dig up all your plants to get to the gut and stuff you put underneath them. With all this extra pin conning paralyzer sitting around, I figured it was finally time for me to give it a try. Even if it might not be exactly the same as the flower that lands on store shelves, John Laskowski and I met at an undisclosed location for the big reveal. You ever, which, which way do you prefer to smoke weed? Um, if you had I'll, to. I'll hit the bar. This is going to be the smoothest. Okay. Because it's through a carbon filter. Perhaps to the surprise of many, despite being the cannabis reporter, I'm not a daily marijuana smoker. And usually, it's just the hit of a random joint on occasion if it's passed my way. John had a fancy water bong. It had been a while since I smoked out of one of those. Something I'd not seen before was a container of black carbon chunks that was incorporated into the water pipe to purify the smoke. I've smelled plenty of marijuana. It wasn't necessarily as potent smelling. Right, exactly. You can tell it just kind of smells like weed, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it had a good smell to it. Like it it doesn't. I mean, cause I didn't. That's why we did forty plants too, and I didn't do one hundred and twenty, because if it's shit, I, I'm not gonna be able. To, I'm not gonna try to force feed one hundred and twenty plants worth of poop down somebody's throat. Right. Yeah, it just does doesn't have the the pizzazz or the the spunk that I would like to smell in some flour. John Laskowski used what to me looked like an unusually large grinder to break up the tightly packed Pinconic Paralyzer buds that had orange and purple hues. He opened the lid to the grinder and then began sprinkling the contents into the bowl of the water bong. So for someone like me who doesn't smoke frequently, I don't... You want me to do it first? You sure. can watch me. Sure. Here. For somebody with you, what? I was going to say, I mean, like... Uh... What's the best way to smoke? No, um... I guess, I mean, how much do you think it would take for, for someone who's not a regular smoker to get hit? Like, will one hit be enough? Yeah, or yeah. Or? If you don't regularly smoke, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good smoke, good hit in the bong, yeah. You might as well go first then. You know what you're doing. Pull the whole stem, yeah, when you're done. You go hit it, clear easier. There you go, Gus. So Gus is filling up the bong, and he's going to take a long pull. Nice work, Gus. You fucking cleared it. Yes! You know how many people don't clear a bong? How's it taste? Alright, tastes like pot, don't it? Yep. My dad's bong. <coughs> Alright, let's see. I'll tell you what I think now. <coughs> it doesn't, uh... You gotta cough to get off, everybody. Audience. So, you gotta cough. <coughs> Gus is doing a good job of that right now. And then John took a turn. say like this quickly in i can already detect a little feeling and almost like a little more vibrancy in the colors of the room Mm, tastes all right it's not as yeah i expected to cough way more than that actually that's why i had you hit the bone bro 
and save your lungs on the doobie. As the thick white smoke sucked into my lungs from the water bong, I began coughing, but it was relatively smooth compared to other experiences I've had with marijuana. Thankfully, I was not paralyzed, but I did begin feeling something within seconds. At first, the lights in the room just seemed to be instantaneously brighter. Then my ability to string together cohesive questions seemed to become instantaneously duller. By about 20 minutes in, my thoughts were swirling and landing at dead ends of thought mazes that left me wondering what initial train of thought even led me here. It wasn't a hugely different experience than other times I've been high, but it was only one hit. It definitely worked, and the effects lasted quite a while. I even got the giggles for about three and a half minutes while trying to explain to my wife that I'd just smoked pinconning paralyzer. The flower, albeit not in a huge quantity, will soon, as in potentially by the time you hear this, be available at three stores in Michigan. The Laskowskis have an exclusive deal to supply Sticky brands, which includes Sticky Ipsy and Sticky Battle Creek, both of which are recreational and medical retailers, and Bay Area Meds, which is in Colcollin, a city in Bay County that's about 15 miles south of Pinconning. Bay Area Meds was founded by Raymond Mertz in 2012 and will soon join the Sticky Brand chain of retail locations. Here's Raymond. Yeah, I mean, I, I grew up in the Flint area. Um, I've been uh, I've been in Flint since uh, the mid-70s myself. So uh, it was, again, it was something that we heard about when we were in high school, uh, at, at college, you know. I mean, even up to that time it was you know the 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 you know the late 90s it was still talked about pretty heavily like this mythical strain that you know it used to just knock your dick in the dirt and if you had it or you smoked it you would know what it was immediately because it had this pungent aroma that it, as soon as it was lit up you know people would recognize oh that was that was the paralyzers here's jake abraham the founder of sticky brands we're, we're just really excited i'm excited to try it and i hope it blows people away and you know, we're always lucky when people weed at a good price so i mean it'll be on our ten dollar gram shelf it's not like we're going to try to charge more for it we just want everyone we want to share the love and have everyone experience it david myers who helped proliferate pin counting paralyzer questions the business model surrounding its sustainability you know them guys trying to get them strains and stuff and you know i talked to them guys and i'm like why would you even want that for one thing the plant was a hermaphrodite the purple Hawaiian plant was a hermaphrodite. And I don't know if you know what that is, but that's a male and female. So when you're growing it outside, it really didn't show the male side too much. But if you grow it extended periods of time, it gets male flowers on it and makes seeds on your weed, and it ain't worth shit. So for you know somebody like Pinkana or all them grow people, you know now the commercial grow people to want that strain i'm like you guys are stupid why would you want that i mean i've had a lot of people you know get through different channels because you know i'm the kingpin yeah we want that strain we want to grow that strain no you don't whether or not people in the end consider this the genuine pin counting paralyzer of days gone by doesn't really matter it's about more than that here's raymond from bay area meds again so there's kind of that whole mysticism about it being able to do something that before was always elite illegal and then now it's back you know so there's a lot of people that come and ask and now that there's been rumors that it's coming back the uh that has increased the frequency has increased i mean we get two or three people you know every two or three days that'll come in and they're very enthusiastic again i think just the idea of the folklore about it that everyone's kind of known about it and the idea that it's legal now and everyone can go and experience that idea, you know, of this 
mythological weed, this mythological weed strain that, again, yeah, I mean, it made Pinconning infamous, not famous, but infamous because they were having, you know, people getting busted there and going to prison for long periods of time over something that people were just trying to use as medicine. David Myers told me he loves marijuana because it's, quote, not a man-made bullshit thing that kills other things. It's natural. So what's the great... What's the great part about growing stuff? What do you like about it? Uh, just uh, start to finish, that kind of thing, you know, when you can do something and it works and it's good. And you can help people. I mean, it's you better. Help, and, you well, that, people. you know, that, that, that part is the part now that, you know, that would totally be your focus for helping people. You know, back then, they didn't, you know, marijuana was, you know, made you climb walls and see spider webs and, you know, crazy stuff, you know. I really wish that they would just, the feds would release and let them study it because it is an amazing drug. When I got busted in by the feds, right now, for $100, you can have a license and I would have been legal. For $100, you can have a license and do just what I was doing when I got busted. As I conclude this story about pinconning paralyzer, I know it only represents but a fragment of all the stories, history, and lives behind the efforts, passion, and sacrifice that kept it alive. I feel extremely thankful and lucky to have had the opportunity to talk with and learn more about some of the people who took a fall for its success. People like David and Roger Myers and their wives, Judy and Malin, who all kindly invited me into their homes to share their stories. I think possibly the greatest part of this story is how pinconning paralyzer, and marijuana in general, has flipped the script after nearly a century of outright prohibition. The stigma is still there for some, especially for those who live nearly their entire lives in the shadows, some of them sneaking into pinconning cornfields or highway medians to grow plants people wanted but that the government forbid. Few who participated in creating pinconning paralyzer imagined this day would ever come during their lifetimes. Now the Myers boys, their children, and grandchildren can take something that was once a source of shame and look upon it with pride. Because now, they're more than just names in old newspapers, court files, and arrest records. They're a part of pinconning paralyzer, and they're a part of history. Do you ever feel proud about your role in uh, something that's so famous? And it's probably been, it's probably, like, it's memorable to a lot of people. I mean, people remember smoking pinconning paralyzer. <laughs> You don't even know how I've heard all that stuff for years. I mean, I've met people in Oregon, California, Florida, New York, all over, you know. Where are you from? Oh, we're from Pink County. Oh, that paralyzer. <laughs> like, holy shit. And that's a wrap for now. But stay tuned. We promise to keep you in the loop on future developments on Pinconning Paralyzer. Subscribe to Michigan Crime Stories wherever you listen to podcasts to get alerted if and when we release more on the journey of this cannabis strain. You'll also get alerts on future series under our Michigan Crime Stories banner. Gus Burns was the reporter for this project and the voice that led you through Pinconning Paralyzer's decades-long journey. I'm Jessica Shepard, your producer for Michigan Crime Stories. 
If you value the work of journalists like us, consider becoming an MLive subscriber by visiting MLive.com slash subscribe. And if you'd like to check out our other podcast offerings, you can find them at MLive.com slash podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us for this series. We hope to see you back here again for future episodes of Michigan Crime Stories. For now, take care. Place where you were